0: Welcome back to the Sports Media Watch Podcast. This is John Lewis, joined as always by Drew Lerner. Today, we are talking with Bill Fagerbakey, the star, or one of the stars, well, literally the Patrick star of SpongeBob SquarePants. He'll be here to talk about his upcoming role on the Super Bowl. That'll be interesting to discuss. But of course, there's a lot of sports media news to talk about as well. Before we get to that, if you have not subscribed already, please do subscribe to the SMW Podcast feed on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. So the big story of the week, obviously, is the really shocking news that Warner Brothers Discovery, ESPN, and Fox Sports are going to launch a joint streaming service later this year. So immediately, so all those questions of when will ESPN go over the top and begin, uh, you know, uh, distributing its linear channels directly to subscriber? Well, that's happening in the fall, Uh, and now Fox will be doing the same, and also Warner Brothers Discovery which only just began doing that back uh, in uh, October, we will be doing that through another service as well. So a lot of questions to answer about this uh, agreement. Obviously, it's not official yet. There's still things that need to be signed and agreed to. And there's been a lot of discussion about whether or not this might be something that grabs the eye of uh, regulators because of antitrust concerns. I honestly doubt it, but you never know. Um, So uh, let's start with the obvious, which is what does this mean for all of the best laid plans of all of these networks, and ESPN in particular? Uh, ESPN still plans, according to reports, to launch a direct-to-subscriber service of its own. Now, there's no rule that says that you can only go direct-to-subscriber through one service. So ESPN can go direct-to-subscriber on its own and also be available through this bundle. And in fact, one of the things that I wonder is, how much of this has in common with the direct-to-subscriber model of, you know, a Peacock or a Paramount Plus? And how much of it has in common with, say, a YouTube TV? I mean, isn't this just a streaming MVPD that is owned by the the the, the companies providing the content? I mean, that is still obviously direct-to-subscriber. They're not going to a third party. But I feel like this is more along the lines of a, of, a, of a YouTube TV skinny bundle than, you know what we've seen before with Max, or what we have, are expecting to see with ESPN. So, you know, obviously to still have a, a, a network-specific direct-to-subscriber app is, is, is something that I think the networks will want to pursue. But how do you make it worth the viewer's while? Because right now you have Disney, Fox, and Warner, and that's a lot of sports, but it's not all of them you will be at a content disadvantage with youtube tv fubo and those other properties now you will be able to have a price you know advantage there you're going to be maybe 40 to 50 bucks there, are 70 80 who knows 90 100 within a couple years so there will be you know obvious cost savings but it's not going to be cheap Right. When all of this started with streaming MVPDs, uh, YouTube TV was $35 when I signed up. And coming from cable, that was an incredible savings. I mean, incredible. Uh, not so much now. And uh, once you get to 40 and 50 bucks, I don't know, especially if you're not getting everything. You're not getting the CBS, you're not getting NBC. And uh, beyond that, you're at a content disadvantage with the bundle, with the joint venture. And then you're also at a disadvantage with the ESPN-specific uh, subscriber app. Because, okay, so how are you going to make that worth anyone's while? Because you'll say, well, you, it, it'll be cheaper, but you're only getting ESPN. So the only cost savings that you're getting are obviously going to cost you the ability to watch every game you want, which is kind of what people are looking for. I still think that the YouTube TVs, the Fubos of the world, they're going to take a legitimate hit. because hey, you can watch the entire NBA, MLB, and NHL playoffs just with this joint venture. They're going to take a real hit. I still think that they are in a better position than uh, than this joint venture or the direct-to-subscriber that ESPN is going to put out. Drew, I'll bring you in.
1: Yeah, John. I mean, clearly a lot to unpack here. And um, it, it's interesting because this is seemingly like a middle-of-the-road offering, right? You have your full bundles, your heavy bundles, I guess you can call them, uh, like the YouTube TVs and the Fubos or even the cable bundle, and you're going to get everything or close to everything. I was trying to kind of parse out in my mind, like what would you be missing from this skinny bundle though, WBD, Fox, Disney bundle, if you had that for what analysts are saying is going to be about $40 to $50, um, perhaps starting lower and then going up after an introductory rate. If you had this bundle plus an antenna, what are you really missing? You're going to miss the USA properties. So if you're a Premier League fan, that's not going to work. You're going to miss, you know, maybe Tour de France. You're going to miss some of the CBS Sports Network properties. But in reality, and I guess the Paramount Plus exclusive soccer properties. So I would say most of the things you'd be missing out on are exclusive to soccer um, if you have the antenna and this bundle. So it is a smaller sacrifice that you'd be making compared to if you were to switch just to an ESPN direct-to-subscriber service. At the price point, that is kind of intriguing. I think, you know... Lachlan Murdoch on his earnings call this morning said this bundle is targeting cord nevers or cable nevers people that have been operating outside of the cable ecosystem for quite some time. And I think there are a lot of younger sports fans, sports fans that have never been subscribed to a cable service and might see YouTube TV or similar services as a bit cost prohibitive that this could appeal to. They're just big sports fans. They don't really care about the cable news channels. They don't care about the animal planets of the world and those entertainment properties, those entertainment channels. This could actually be appealing. I think it'll be interesting to see um, what what the uptake is here.
0: Well, you bring up uh, some very good points there. I had not heard the Lachlan Murdoch uh, comment. Uh, if you're targeting cord nevers, good luck with a forty to fifty dollar a month option. They're not that cord nevers are probably doing a lot of illegal streaming. They probably don't like sports to begin with. Also, I mean, it's either way. If, if they either they don't care about sports or they were illegally streaming sports. So I, I don't know about that as a strategy at all. I,
1: I will say I think a lot of those that audience, the, the coordinators that you say might be more apt to illegally stream their sports, they're coming of age now where they're getting full-time jobs, they have disposable income, and they might actually value an easier way to access most of the sports they have. So I think that is still an untapped audience um, where perhaps they're willing to pay $40 a month to get pretty much every sport that they want. Uh, and not have to worry about finding an illegal stream or something of that sort.
0: You know, I was kind of thinking the same thing, but do people really age out of getting things for free? I mean, do they age out of that? Uh, This is not, you know, 25 years ago when people were getting arrested for downloading songs, you know, so there's been no consequence at all. They faced no difficulty, no threat. Why wouldn't they just keep You know, doing that. uh, I mean, it saves some money.
1: Well, not to go off on a tangent. uh, I'll keep this short. But I don't know if you've ever tried to illegally stream anything, but it is—it's not a great user experience. The the streams crash often. The quality is not good. It's—it's kind of more work than it's worth. Mm -hmm. Uh, And the and the experience of having an actual legitimate license to stream uh, these products. would be a better user experience so i i think there's a market there
0: all right well i have not tried to illegally stream uh, i can say that um, but uh, the reality is that if it is a bad viewing experience you could see that be a, uh, something that uh, that moves people in the direction of paying uh, i will say you know we have no idea what the viewing experience will be for the app too some of these apps that you pay for are pretty laggy themselves and buggy uh, certainly, if you've ever tried to stream some apps, they might crash in the middle of a game, depending on the device that you're using. Uh, I do think that just getting back to the whole conversation about, you know, YouTube TV, Fubo, and 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 whether or not this makes sense financially, you know, there. What I'm interested in is how this is going to affect the bottom line of the networks as well, because from the reporting that I've read the split in terms of revenue is going to be according to what the uh, subscriber fee would be on cable. So ESPN will, you know, make the $12 that they would make. That's obviously enormous and probably the only reason why ESPN was able to do this. But, you know, it is the case that the charters of the world do pay for access to these channels. You're taking that revenue stream away. Uh Charter in the last deal with ESPN Uh, The only reason that deal went through is because ESPN gave Charter the ability to uh, bundle or Disney gave Charter the ability to bundle the ESPN direct-to-subscriber apps and Disney Plus, of course, Disney Plus is a big one. So, you know, will this new service be available through Charter? And if not, why would Charter, you know, I mean, I guess offering the ESPN direct-to-subscriber service whenever it launches will still be beneficial, but you're at a disadvantage again. So. I do wonder how this affects also the future uh, cable deals because those are still the way that ESPN and the other networks are going to make the bulk of their money.
1: You're definitely right, and and there's also questions that are going to be raised about how viable are some of these distributors' business models now. Um, if this will only accelerate the cord cutting trend, and if I'm like a satellite provider, for instance, like a Direct TV, where I don't have a diversified business model where I'm providing things like internet like Charter is or um, you know Verizon or Comcast, this is really threatening my overall business, right This brings up a lot of challenges on the distributor side as well
0: yeah yeah, and uh, I mean when it comes down to it, that is still the primary business model it's still cable and of course everyone talks about well hey, this is just cable again. That's because they haven't figured out anything better because bundling everything together allows you obviously to put what is uh, a lot of expense in a a, uh, package that is financially feasible for most people. You know, John McCain spent so many years, he and Arlen Specter, you know, banging the drum of a la carte cable and it never came to fruition. We're closer now to that than ever and obviously it, it doesn't work for people. People want to be able to choose whatever networks they want without having to deal with the financial implications of that, right? And uh, I can't blame anybody. You know, I don't want to pay for Fox News. And uh, frankly, I don't even want to pay for MSNBC. So, you know, I mean, if if you are not wanting to pay for a cable news network, but you're having to pay all this money, you're, you're putting money into networks that are, you know, maybe opposed to your values or just things you don't want, it's frustrating. But how else is it going to be, you know, How else is it going to be workable? ESPN pays so much money in rights fees. How in the world are they going to be able to afford to do anything? Uh, You know, they, they don't have enough Stephen A. Smiths and Pat McAfee's to lay off financially in terms of salary to make it work. Where you are going without the money that is being paid to you by the distributors?
1: You're kind of getting at the crux of the issue here, John. Where the price point of this service is going to have to be such where you're maintaining people on the cable bundle, right? Because that is still your golden goose. So I think, you know, a lot of the the media reaction to this might be slightly overblown for that reason. I'm not sure how big of an audience this specific bundle is going to have at the given price point. Um, and you also brought up a good point, John, of kind of the other... Properties that these um, these companies have that are the non sports channels, right? If I'm Warner Brothers Discovery, for instance, and I'm unbundling all of my sports properties now, if I'm CNN, where's my leverage in these carriage negotiations, right? I can get everything else that Warner Brothers Discovery has to offer through a much cheaper streaming service. And I'm CNN. I don't have the dedicated audience like MSNBC and Fox News customers that will actually kind of be angry if they if they have those channels taken away. CNN's audience just isn't as, uh, I guess, dedicated to that channel as, you know, the other, you know, the MSNBC or the Fox News. And so if I'm Warner Brothers Discovery, I think that's a huge risk for them.
0: Well, I think it's a bigger risk for TCM and you know niche boutique channels like that. Sure. CNN will always have an audience because of the brand name and the people who watch it, right? Uh, so powerful people watch all these cable news channels. That's a huge factor uh, in why that you know why they continue to uh, to, to be what they are. Uh, but you know a TCM, which is a passion project that I'm sure David Zaslav has no particular desire or or feeling for. You know how are they going to survive without being bundled with? sports channels.
1: No, they, they already seem to have nine lives, given that they already tried to shut it down.
0: Yeah, and I mean, I you know, FX, which is part of the charter deal with ESPN, but it's not part of the joint venture. So we know FXX and Freeform are done, because they weren't included in the charter deal. They're done. They're over, right? And I'm sure Disney isn't unhappy, because, I mean, I think they're still having to air the 700 Club on Freeform every day. I mean, that, that's, that's an artifact from, like, 30 years ago, but Part of the deal remember that's the the family channel so i'm sure they're okay getting rid of freeform and fxx fox soccer if you remember that's what it used yeah. to be you know you can put all those comedy shows on back on fx no big deal but you know fx the actual fx not fxx you know that could definitely go by the wayside i mean it is useful to disney because it allows disney to showcase more adult fare that does not fit in the Disney branded channels. But I don't know how it's supposed to survive if it's not being bundled in this joint venture. Because the other thing, too, Matt Murdoch says, oh, this is for Cord Nevers. No, it's not. Like I said, I know, okay, you know, hey, uh, Gen Z's getting to, to their late 20s and maybe they want to start spending money. I think what this is really for is people like me. Right now, uh, at this current time, I am between your streaming services. You know, the NFL season is over. The NCAA men's basketball tournament doesn't start until next month, obviously. And, uh, you know, as far as the NBA goes, I got Max for the Black Friday price. And as a result, because the sports tier is currently bundled with Max, I'm paying $3 a month to watch the NBA on TNT. Not a bad deal. Uh, I have ABC games through the antenna. And ESPN's games really typically aren't very good. Uh, The ESPN NBA schedule is pretty weak usually, so I'm not missing a lot. Uh, And of course, you know, you have League Pass as well. So if ESPN, ESPN, never the air NBA games, there's like 10 other games that night. So for me, you know, I'm not in the bundle at all times. You pick your spots, you're not going to be subscribing to YouTube TV or whatever else in July. And the reason why this particular item is appealing is, well, let's think about, I'm going to just use myself here. What are the times when I know that I need a streaming service to watch sports? April and October. April for the NBA and National Hockey League playoffs and October for the baseball playoffs and the start of the NBA season. With football, that's all on broadcast TV pretty much anyway, so whatever. Uh, And so for me, I'm not going to get it for April because it's not going to exist. But by October, what I've been doing in October is usually, okay, but I got to get back to YouTube TV. I got to get back to Sling or whatever. Now in October, I'm just going to go to this thing because I'll get all the games I want, unless of course it's like you know not. Yeah. Right.
1: You're definitely leaving out a lot of properties that are very popular. Like if you're a college football fan, you're you need something like this for the entirety of football season, right? Well, yeah, a lot of your still, games are going to be in
0: cable. That's still September. Okay, so you tack on an extra month. So September,
1: well, so September through you know December.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. That's not that bad because, you know, what,
1: and then you have March Madness, which is going to be in, you know, that's that's another month. So you might as well keep it for January and February. I do think having all three of these companies will mitigate churn because there always will be something of some importance on the streaming service. So obviously it is dependent on the person, right? If if you're not a college football or basketball fan, you might be able to get away with what you're doing and only subscribe for April and October. but I would argue that for a lot of people, it's not even worth the trouble to turn it on and off if they even have some tangential interest in, in these other properties. I do want to get at um, something you kind of alluded to earlier, which is the ownership structure here. It It does seem like what's been reported is there will be a revenue share, right? Based on the affiliate fees that these channels garner with their traditional distribution deals. But there's also reporting that says each company will have an equal one-third stake in this new co, this new company. What kind of, I guess, revenue is going to be generated outside of the affiliate fees here from this new company that, you know, the Fox Warner Brothers Discovery and and Disney is each getting a one-third stake in? That's kind of where I'm left a little befuddled here.
0: Well, I mean, there's a lot that's befuddling about it. I, I'm not the first person to make this point, but why should Warner Brothers Discovery get an equal share? They don't mm-hmm. have the NFL. Yep. They don't even have, uh, one in the first year of this deal, they don't even have the national championship of college basketball. They have that this year, but next year it's on CBS. Warner Brothers Discovery doesn't belong in It's like the uh, the meme of the three dragons, right? And Warner Brothers Discovery is the dragon that's making a silly face.
1: It, it almost feels like the one-third ownership is... Like, mostly just going to be three companies splitting marketing costs, right? Yeah. Like, that, that seems yeah. like what's
0: going to happen. Because when it comes down to it, I mean, it doesn't make any sense for it to be equal. When you have two that have the NFL, Fox has the Super Bowl next year, and the World Cup in a few years, and Warner Brothers Discovery doesn't have, well, they do have the, the Stanley Cup Final. And hey, that is a big deal, but the Stanley Cup Final gets, maybe the kind of number at least last year that would be it'd be disappointing for Duke North Carolina to get the kind of numbers that the, the Santa Cup final had last year. So I mean, uh, you know, I, I I think that is definitely, you bring up a great point, a very interesting aspect of this. And you I guess there really isn't going to be that much to split because ultimately if the revenue is determined by the uh affiliate or by the subscription uh, by the subscriber fees. I don't really know what else they are splitting in that scenario.
1: Yeah. I kind of want to get at what this means for the two major media companies that were left out of this, this joint venture. Um, that's Comcast, NBC Universal, and Paramount. Uh, where do they stand in this kind of new rebundled ecosystem once this streaming service launches?
0: Well, it is worth noting that Max only just started with direct-to-subscriber, Fox doesn't have one, and ESPN has not gone and put its linear channels direct-to-subscriber yet. So, these three that are bundling together really hadn't gone as far as Paramount Plus and Peacock, which are obviously streaming, you know, you can watch NFL games on Paramount Plus and Peacock, you can on ESPN Plus as well, but you can watch every CBS game, including the Super Bowl on paramount plus and every nbc game including the super bowl on peacock espn's putting a handful of monday night games on there um so obviously they weren't approached according to reports uh, which is interesting i don't know if they would have been interested if they had been approached Um, paramount is in so much flux we don't really know what's going to happen there one of the interesting things is you know warner brothers discovery there's been all the talk about them merging with paramount or being acquired by comcast that's where you can tell where those companies are uh situated relative to each other because it would be a merger with paramount but an acquisition by comcast is is my understanding and um obviously if any if that still happens then you have a real question of well what goes on with this joint venture does warner exit that do do the nbc or cbs channels depending on which side uh gets warner do they move to the joint venture uh, that'll be interesting to see but um yeah I, I think if you're peacock you are not you are not concerned comcast is in great shape obviously the real question for peacock is once the price comes out for that joint venture do you raise yours because obviously peacock right now is a decent deal i mean i, I guess I, you know i'm a little hesitant because i have an affiliate relationship with peacock so i don't want people to think i'm shilling for them but It is a, it's a pretty decent deal right now. Five bucks and you get, you know, for me personally, I don't watch any of their scripted series at all. Uh, But obviously they've got sports that I like and sports that obviously people want to watch like playoff games in the NFL. Paramount Plus is a bit different. If you don't care about soccer, I don't know what the value is. And it is more expensive than than Peacock on that front. but again, I mean, both of them right now, compared to $40, $50 for this joint venture, are tremendous value. Let's just briefly talk about the strategic partnership for ESPN Yes. And some yeah. of the discussions that have been had over the last several months about ESPN partnering with the NFL, ESPN getting involved with RSNs. I don't think ESPN is going to do both of those things, and I definitely don't think the RSN idea is feasible now that Bally Sports seems to be Able to continue onward. Uh, But the NFL situation has not been followed up on at all since that reporting was done last month. I would expect that, given what was reported and how seriously it was reported, that that is still being discussed. So, an ESPN that runs NFL media, are those channels, including very crucially Red Zone, part of the joint venture? Does the joint venture have tiers? So that's something like Red Zone, or if ESPN were to get involved in RSNs, something like RSNs would be an additional fee. The ESPN Plus portion, the UFC fights that exist on ESPN Plus, are those going to be part of the joint venture and available as an additional cost? So there's a lot to be determined uh, on that front. Uh, So uh, definitely, though, the NFL aspect, because you'll notice that NBA TV, which is a a WBD-run channel but is owned by the NBA, that was not part of the agreement. So you would think that the NFL media channels would not be. That could be a differentiating point for the ESPN-specific app versus the joint venture. Maybe the ESPN-specific app has NFL Network and Red Zone. Uh, that might be a good way to keep ESPN Plus alive. Maybe the ESPN Plus uh, subscription gets you that extra tier of red zone and UFC fights or whatever, uh, while the joint venture just has the basic free programming—not free, but free with a subscription programming that's already on ESPN Plus.
1: Yeah, well, I, I think with this joint venture with ESPN Plus, it's that's got to be just something that is kind of priced into whatever the overall um, price point is for for this streaming service because it's not like you're going to get too many people willing to just pay exclusively for ESPN plus, or I think how a lot of people get ESPN plus right now is through the Disney Hulu bundle as well. So um, I don't see a huge audience for that unless you're just like a, like a huge PGA tour fan or a huge fan of college sports um, or some of the soccer leagues that they have. You certainly bring up a good point about the, wbd operated nba tv not being included in this bundle um it'll be interesting to see if that ends up anywhere outside of a of a heavy bundle um like on youtube tv or if you're a cable subscriber
0: yeah yeah uh that will be uh i mean nba tv is already included with nba league pass yeah so that's already direct to subscriber in that way uh from one perspective, you could say, well, maybe the league wants to keep it there as you know a differentiator for that. But also, it's you know it's just NBA TV; it's not that important. So I, I'm surprised to see that it's not listed there. Maybe eventually it will be. On the topic of the NBA, obviously this would seem to make it more likely that the NBA will renew with ESPN and TNT, which I think a lot of people have expected will be the case anyway. Uh, doesn't mean that it would only be ESPN and TNT. I don't think anyone expects that. But those incumbents will at least retain, you would think, a portion of the rights. And now that they are part of the same joint venture bundle, the same skinny bundle, uh, you know. Granted, I mean, how much skinnier this is going to be than YouTube TV? I mean, it's not going to be skinnier than YouTube TV was five years ago, right? So it doesn't it doesn't change as much as I think people thought it might when this news was first announced. It was a very shocking headline, but with time, you know it really, it's not going to reinvent the wheel. And really what we're getting at more than anything with a lot of what's happened is not a lot is changing. The industry is in tremendous flux and you have a bundle of cable channels. You have, you know, uh, a renewal of a deal with Charter. You know, you have so many things that were expected to, to reinvent the wheel. I mean, that ESPN going direct to subscriber, but it's going to be part of the Charter bundle. So what's the big deal? Um, it really does seem like a lot of the changes are additive, but not at all uh, tearing anything down.
1: Yeah, that, that's a great point and kind of a good place to leave this topic. There there has been more optionality now for, for the consumer. Once something like this launches, there's pretty much a level of entry at every price point for the sports fan. Um, if you're looking just to get the bare bones, You can do that if you're looking to get most everything this new newly announced bundle will kind of do that for you and then any sort of youtube tv or cable subscription will get you everything so there's a lot of entry points into into the live sports market now
0: i will say that uh, this is all about meeting people where they are and offering them flexibility and one of the reasons why nothing is changing is because i think people liked the old system they didn't like contracts. They didn't like uh, cable boxes, right? And those were exploitative. The contracts I'm talking about specifically, and cable boxes, of course, clunky and inconvenient. They didn't like the service because obviously the Comcast and the Charter's—they didn't have to treat you right. They knew they had, they knew they had you uh, uh, under their thumb. So they didn't like that. But they did like, even for the enormous price, getting all the channels and not having to think about it. Um, and not having to do anything all that different. If you can replicate cable without all the exploitative nonsense, specifically those ridiculous contracts, it's really amazing they got away with that for as long as they did. Uh, If you can replicate cable without that stuff, remember, most sports fans are not young. Most sports fans are not Gen Z. You know, most sports fans, if you ever look at the median ages of these games, these, these games have median ages in the 50s and 60s. Right? So, meet people where they are yeah that means offering flexible options to younger people who are not big sports fans and not big into cable but it also means meeting people the vast majority of sports fans where they are comfortable which is in a cable-like model
1: obviously big kind of unexpected news but we'll have to wait for more details to be reported and this service to eventually launch in fall of 2024 i think the next big thing will be well the name of the service of course in and, and the price point it will be put at so with that said let's move on to the super bowl final nfl game of the year uh cbs is broadcast of the super bowl obviously there's a lot to talk about when it comes to the broadcast team uh there's a lot to talk about when it comes to viewership for this for this year um i think you've Kind of speculated that this will likely be the highest measured viewership for a Super Bowl in history. Uh, why don't you walk us through why that probably will happen, but probably won't really matter other than for the headline purposes.
0: Well, I mean, as I've said before, all the changes that Nielsen has made render the record number, you know, kind of record in name only, as as you said last week, a very a very good way to put it.
1: No, that that was you. I can't be taking credit for that. I did repeat oh, it,
0: though. <laughs> well, yeah, you're right. You did. Yeah, that's true. I, I guess I forgot. But uh, obviously, this will be the most watched Super Bowl ever, more than likely, simply because out of home viewing has been added to the numbers, but only since 2020. And the out of home viewing that was added from 2016 to 20 when the NFL was more popular, believe it or not, than it is now. At least a better TV draw then than it is now. Uh, did not count. So the most watched Super Bowl on record is Patriots Falcons in 2017. In terms of the most watched Super Bowl in, uh, for which we have Nielsen measurement, that is 124 million viewers. It's just that the out-of-home viewing that year does not officially count. Uh, this year's Super Bowl is unlikely to get to that number. It probably will not be the most watched Super Bowl even in the past decade. Uh, And of course, there's all the Super Bowls from before 2016, when Nielsen began, including out-of-home viewing, that did not have any uh, out-of-home measurement at all. And uh, as uh, I wrote in an article this week, my belief is, and I'm pretty confident about it, that the Patriots-Seahawks Super Bowl in 2015 was, in fact, the most watched uh, of all of them. It's just that Nielsen wasn't measuring out-of-home at the time.
1: Some interesting context there, but I'm sure you'll agree at the end of the day it's the super bowl uh a few million here and there don't really make or break um the nfl's bottom line um i am interested though to kind of pick your brain about when you think viewership will peak this year we don't have a hugely marquee halftime show like we did last year with rihanna um usher i think is a bit more of a um but just not as a broad appeal as a Rihanna not as big of a name so I don't think we'll get as big of a spike at halftime as we would traditionally so are we thinking in the front of the broadcast end of the broadcast or do you still think halftime will be the spike here
0: it depends on the quality of the game I don't know uh I'm so disinterested in this matchup to be completely honest I don't really know who the favorite is I've heard that San Francisco is the favorite yeah, yeah. that it's, it's been
1: the line's been bouncing between one and two points for San Francisco
0: People seem to think this is going to be a good close game, and that's probably a smart pick because Kansas City typically plays close games. Uh, If it is a close game because of the Usher factor, no disrespect to Usher, I don't believe that he is the, you know, obviously he's certainly not the biggest celebrity that will be at the game, which is a change of pace for a Super Bowl halftime performer. Um, I don't believe it'll peak at halftime if the game is close. But, you know, maybe the game won't be close. Um, you know, uh, maybe it'll peak before halftime. I mean, probably not, but you know, you never know. Like to me, the 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 halftime factor, the fact that you don't have a a a massive above the fold superstar, you know, who there's a lot of people who probably don't know who Usher is. I mean, he's a little bit old school. That younger demographic audience might not be familiar with him. So the main reason you put these Super Bowl halftime performers in there at least in most years, is to pick up that younger audience. And, you know, you're you're going for people who are broadly known across demographics. I don't know that Usher is is that guy. Uh, so and no disrespect to Usher. I'm glad he's doing it. Uh, you know, uh, he's, uh, he's good, obviously. But I think I, I wouldn't be surprised if the peak was not at halftime this year. Long story short.
1: There's obviously been a big spotlight on the broadcast team for CBS. The Super Bowl is obviously also a much different game to broadcast than a traditional even a traditional playoff game, right yeah. The you know audience is a much more casual audience. Um, you might not get into the more specific analytical breakdowns that you might in you know a week fourteen game. So yeah. do you think Tony Romo specifically is kind of more suited for this type of Environment, because I would argue he kind of is with with how he's got a more casual and excitable tone.
0: Well, you know, I talked at length last week about my feelings about the Romo criticism. I think it's over the top. Uh, his, you know, the Super Bowl again is it is an interesting event because when you watch the NBA Finals, you know you are amongst like minded people. When you watch the World Series, it's just baseball junkies now. That's it. There's no casual fans tuning in for the World Series anymore. There were no casual fans watching the Rangers and Diamondbacks. You know, but with the Super Bowl, it, I mean, the, the most watched NFL game outside of the Super Bowl has 50 million fewer viewers than the Super Bowl does, 60 million even. That's 60 million people who don't know who the teams are, don't care, and you know, will probably spend the game you know, asking questions like, what is this, what is that, or just ignoring the action on the field altogether. You don't really need a detailed Ron Jaworski style breakdown of the game in that audience scenario. So, Romo, you know, as I said last week, you know, the loud noises, the kind of he's a comedic guy. He is, uh, he brings that kind of energy. And I think his style is perfectly fine. You know, I mean, all of their styles, in my view, are. Go ahead.
1: Does this game give him an opportunity to kind of change the narrative if he does kind of perform well or is this, is this kind of it's baked in now you know people are, have their opinions on Romo and even if he has a wonderful super bowl performance uh that is you know widely praised uh people aren't going to give him his due
0: there's only a few people in this industry you know who are really who really care about this stuff right? You know, uh, Richard Sandomir used to be a really detailed critic of the announcers, and Brian Curtis is, is much the same way. A lot of other folks are just kind of saying, hey, you know, people on social media are complaining about this guy. So let's, you know, let's make a note of that. Hey, people on social media couldn't stand when, you know, Tony Romo said this or that. That's not really the same thing as actual detailed criticism. So I don't really think he can change the narrative because the narrative is being in large measure determined by people who are angry on social media. And by that metric, every single announcer in history has been terrible. So, you know, uh, no, I, I maybe, you know, it might be the case that he does a great job and Brian Curtis writes about it in The Ringer on Monday and says, wow, Tony Romo really showed me something. Uh, that would be about it. It would still be, whoa, Romo said this. You know, it was an awkward moment when Tony Romo scratched his nose during the open. You know, I mean, that's really that's really what we're talking about.
1: Now, this is an interesting thought experiment because CBS is next scheduled for the Super Bowl in 2028. Yeah. So, next year is going to be Fox. Then the following will be NBC, and then the following will be ESPN slash ABC for their first Super Bowl. 2028, so you know that that's quite a long time from now, four years. Do you see that CBS broadcast booth changing? Either Romo out or Nance, he's kind of getting up there. Um, he's already taken off the, um, the lead team for March Madness. Uh, perhaps he is a, a candidate to, to be swapped out, uh, especially given the, um, the play-by-player sitting behind him at CBS and Iron Eagle.
0: It might be Noah by 2028. Look, I I do think that uh, Nance is more likely to be gone by 2028 than Romo. I do think that. I don't think really either of them are going to be gone. Um, The studio team is what won't be back. I mean, that's a a virtual lot. You know, James Brown has been doing this for a lot of years. You can go back and watch the NBA on CBS nearly 40 years ago. He's there. He's on the sidelines. He's sitting next to Dr. J interviewing him after his final game, right? You know obviously he's someone who's well-respected, but there's no doubt that they've got a guy sitting next to him who's anchoring the CBS morning show. And yeah, the CBS morning show is not exactly the most prestigious in all of uh, morning show history here uh, on its third or fourth different name, but that's still a big deal. And it's obvious that it's going to be Nate Burleson's job probably as soon as, if not next year, certainly by 2028, The rest of that team has run its course. I don't really think that's even a mean thing to say. Uh, You know, Bill Cowher's been there forever. I think he's been there longer than he coached in Pittsburgh. Um, You know, Boomer Esiason. And there's a there's a there's it. There is nothing inherently grumpy about people who are older. I'm not going to participate in any ageism here. There's nothing inherently grumpy about being in your 60s or or anything like that. And Ernie Johnson isn't grumpy but there is a grumpy-ish aspect that that particular group has, and because it is an older group that has been around for a while, you do feel like maybe it's time for some fresh bases. Esiason, Sims, and Cower probably should be in different roles or not on the show beyond, I would say, even this season. Uh, you know James Brown I would say has earned through his years at CBS to leave on his own terms but that would be about it
1: uh it's a great point where the the past few years it's been a lot of shakeup in the booth I think the next few years will kind of be defined by shakeup in the studio shows because you could say the same thing about yeah. Fox as well um both both panels are kind of aging out um they're kind of more disconnected from the game than ever uh and you can see both both networks are bringing in younger talent and trying to get them up to speed you know with J.J. Watt on CBS and Gronk on Fox um they are trying to start they're trying to integrate some of this younger talent uh in the hopes I guess that they pan out and they can start start uh you know freshening up their studios.
0: And they don't uh-huh. have fun. The CBS people don't appear to have a good time. And even on Fox, the good time guys for years and years and years, they don't seem to have a good time either. Terry has had a rough few years, very rough. You can tell that it's been a rough few years for him. And it's it's obviously not, he's not bringing the same energy that he used to. Uh, it's It's got to be very difficult to deal with the things he's dealt with. Um, how he is still rock solid and how he still looks like it's 1995. I'm sure he could still play those roles he was playing in those movies. Strahan is excellent. Strahan could probably host the show. Uh, I mean, I'm not trying to take Kurt Menefee's job, but he could probably host it if he wanted. I'll be honest, Jimmy still has that fire. So really, with Fox, it's probably just Bradshaw that is not at the same level that he was, and you can chalk that up to some of the personal difficulties that he's faced. Um, I will say, the Inside the NBA guys are just as disconnected from the modern game. And I don't think they watch the modern game. Maybe Kenny does. Uh, I don't think Shaq or Charles really watch the modern game all that much or like the modern game all that much, but they have a good time. It's fun to watch them enjoy their own company. That's just not where the cbs or 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 even the Fox teams on the NFL are
1: yeah, great point. All right. Let's hit one more quick NFL note before we get to our interview. The NFL announced that during its opening week in twenty twenty four, so next season, they will be playing a Friday night game in Brazil. That game will be featuring the Philadelphia Eagles. Um, this is a rare Friday night game for the NFL. Um, they're adding a new primetime standalone window. I guess you can't be surprised that they found a way to do it. Um, so we will be getting uh, one more featured game in the opening slate, uh, opening weekend slate uh, next season. Uh, What do you think of the NFL-Brazil game?
0: Well, the 1961 Sports Broadcasting Act has specific dates for when the NFL cannot compete with high school and college. Uh, And these specific dates run from the second Saturday in September, the second Friday in September, to the second Saturday in December. Uh, Obviously, these are somewhat outdated because we know that college football and high school football begin in August. Maybe that wasn't the case in 1961. Uh, But uh, what all that means is that the NFL cannot compete after 6 uh, p.m. on Fridays or Saturdays from the second Friday of September to the second Saturday of December. Well, it just so happens that Labor Day is early this year. It's September 2nd. And for the first time since 2019, the NFL season begins the week of the first Friday in September. And that is why the league can put this game on. Even though the high school and college football seasons will be underway, the NFL can compete on that night. So it'll be interesting to see if they decide to do this more often, because it's not going to be every year that you can. So you can't really build in a consistent window. I don't know how many more years um, this is going to work out. I can uh, do a quick look at the calendar here. So this year, uh, the NFL season begins on the fifth because Labor Day is on the second. So first uh, Friday in September is available. Same thing next year, but not in 2026 or 2027 or 2028. So the next time after that is going to be 2029, and who even knows what the you know what anything is going to look like at that point? So you can't have a consistent window there. You can do it this year and next. And I suspect they'll probably do it again next year. Uh, And hey, it's additive. Uh, My real question is who's going to get the game? I wonder if it's going to be a streaming service. I mean, a Peacock, uh, you know, these international series games usually air on NFL Network. But will the NFL really care as much about giving NFL Network the best games as it is trying to unload it onto ESPN? Um, remember, it's not like ESPN called the NFL and said, we desperately want NFL Network. The NFL is trying to offload NFL Network. Uh, it might be better for them to maybe try to shop it around to a Fox, To I, I could yeah.
1: see it actually. Yeah, I could see it going to Amazon because the, the first Thursday is already an NBC game. Right. So by giving, they, they would actually add a week one game where, whereas they usually would start their season in week two uh currently so i think that would make a lot of sense and maybe uh make up for some of the ills of not getting a streaming exclusive playoff game this
0: year that's a great that's a great point uh do we you know will al michaels welcome a trip to brazil i don't know <laughs> i mean uh, i remember when al was doing the nba he almost never left california to cover those games for abc uh brazil that'll be interesting but
1: yeah i don't know if they have any food that would be able to uh satisfy his dietary needs.
0: Yeah, I don't know, but uh, certainly Amazon—that would be a, a, a great fit. But you know, Amazon's going to have to pay for it. The NFL is just not going to say, "Hey, you know what, Amazon? We're sorry we didn't give you a playoff game. Here's <laughs> here's one for free." You got to pay for it. I One of the things I've been really curious about is whether or not. What about Univision? Univision is getting the Super Bowl this year. Univision is a Univision is a legitimate network. We don't talk about it because they, they don't really have a lot of the, um, you know, the mainstream major sports, even in terms of soccer. They've got Liga MX and some of the international soccer tournaments. But, you know, that's a big network that gets, you know, strong ratings all the time. That would be fantastic. Now you say, well, wouldn't people be upset to have to go watch a game in Spanish language? And, you know, okay, so be it. They, they found a way to watch a game on Peacock. I would be very intrigued, very intrigued by the prospect of Univision getting this game. Um, I think that would be really, really fun and a great opportunity for them. But uh,
1: are you, you're saying Spanish language rights? No, I'm saying
0: right. I'm saying to get the rights so that they are the you know they can put the English language version on TUDN or something, right? I'm saying Interesting. Univision because they should go out and they should try to get the exclusive rights to this game you know i mean maybe it wouldn't make any sense financially for them i may i don't know but i'm just saying it would be a fun thing for them to do because i don't see any reason why nfl broadcasting should be limited to the nfl's usual partners there's nothing that says that warner brothers discovery can't bid on some of these standalone nfl games that the league is shopping around i mean anybody could theoretically do it for years the nfl was putting games on Amazon or Yahoo or whatever that were one-off games. So it would be a great way to get involved in the NFL business and uh, make some noise and make a little history too. Uh, and uh, I think that would be very fascinating.
1: Yeah, and and certainly if they were going to do any game, it would be this one, and it would be a great press release for the NFL. Um, yeah. So it'll be fascinating to see what happens with this game during the long-dreaded NFL offseason. Yeah. But luckily, we have one more game this Sunday, and that'll lead us right into our interview, John. So why don't you tee us up?
0: Yeah, so uh, the Super Bowl this year does hear on Univision. It also ears on Nickelodeon. For the first time since the first Super Bowl, there will be two English-language broadcasts that are distinct. This is the Nickelodeon Slime Time broadcast, and it will include some of the voice actors from SpongeBob SquarePants, including... Oral Puffington herself, Carolyn Lawrence, who plays Sandy Cheeks on SpongeBob. Uh, Mr. Lawrence will be, who is Plankton, uh, also on the sidelines. And they will also be joined in the broadcast booth by the great Bill Fagerbakke, who joins us to discuss really a role that he probably never imagined he would ever hold, calling the Super Bowl. Well, we are very pleased and excited to be joined by one of the most famous voices in all of television. Uh, In 1999, Nickelodeon started a television series called Spongebob Squarepants, and uh, it is still on the air after all these years and bigger than it has ever been. You could make the argument at this point that Spongebob is at the level of a Bugs Bunny or a Homer Simpson. Uh, and we are joined today by Spongebob's best friend, Patrick, of course, Bill Bagerbocky, uh, who has played this role uh, from the beginning. Uh, Bill, uh, joining us from Los Angeles, is going to be on the Super Bowl broadcast this week. And I have to imagine, uh, in a career that's touched a little bit on on, on on sports before you were, of course, in coach, uh, the uh, television series on ABC in the 1990s. But this is something that had to be not something you ever imagined your career would bring you to. Calling a live Super Bowl, uh, I mean, well, did you ever see that coming?
2: Oh, certainly not. It, it's so absurd, <laughs> you know. Uh... No, I'm uh, obviously an extremely fortunate man, I, and it's interesting how you know I uh, I played football, you know, in high school and loved it, and I went uh, on a full scholarship, and after a couple years in college playing ball, I I had my knee blown out, but I'd also kind of gotten tired of that, you know, and um, and I d- discovered acting. I just stumbled into it, and um wound up uh, having this wonderful career, but throughout my career, it's like football has been this, it, it keeps coming back into my life, which is great because I'm a fan. I'm a fan of, uh, you know, as much as I'm a fan of the team, the Rams, um, my whole life. Uh, I, I'm also a fan of the players. I love watching the arcs of players' careers um, that I find that very satisfying. And, and, and on coach, I got to work with all these legends, people like, Bubba Smith and Johnny Unitas and Hank Stram and George Allen and uh, Troy Aikman and Walter Payton and Eric Dickerson and Eddie George and all these amazing. I got to meet all these guys, uh, which was so cool. Um, and and then here 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 I am now with this crazy goofball sea star that I've been to for twenty five years. And I'm back in the world of football. Uh, it's, it's really
1: it's really something else. So. Bill, how much of your prep going into this game is actually that of, you know, the prep a sports broadcaster would go through, you know, learning the players, learning the teams, that type of thing, versus, you know, just ready to, you know, go into character and be Patrick's star for a few hours? Well,
2: you know, that's, you know, as, as a, someone who's been consuming the broadcast of NFL games since 1969. Um, I, I feel that impetus, right? I got to do all the backstories, and all that stuff, but then I have to check myself because none of that really matters in the world of Bikini Bottom. And this is about being silly and having fun, and maybe and providing um, a perspective that uh, kids. Uh, We'll we'll enjoy and uh, be able to embrace without being overwhelmed by, you know, gladiatorial uh, weight uh, uh, as uh, the broadcasts can uh, can offer. Um, You know, it's been fun to do some reading. Did you know that the first few Super Bowls that we don't have those broadcasts? They taped over them because videotape was so expensive. And they didn't see any value in keeping those broadcasts. So what we see from those is almost all just like the, the NFL film stuff. So it's never the broadcast. I've always, I've always wished I could see those old broadcasts, the original, you know, with, uh, I think even have the same commercials, you know, I don't know something, but something that would, uh, kind of so I could revisit that experience, but <clears throat> no, I'm, uh, I'm doing some, but but not very much. And I don't have to prep much to be a a moron.
0: (laughs) Well, I mean, all the things you've done in your career, and as you said, you've met all sorts of great NFL legends, but this is so different and it's live and it's a Super Bowl. It's not going to be the CBS broadcast in terms of viewership, but it's still the Super Bowl. What are the nerves like heading into this?
2: it's it's definitely a high wire act and and offers that that terrifying uh element of live uh experience because we're so you know it, whether you're on camera doing scripted content or you're doing a cartoon script everything is so carefully shaped and you know and controlled to now just be out there just left to my own devices um <clears throat> When I did that game last year on Christmas Day, it was uh Denver at the Rams. I was really I was really uh anxious. Um uh I didn't know what I would be doing. No one did really. They just said, Oh yeah, we'll probably do this, a little of this. I said, Okay, I'll I'll prepare for that. A little of this, a little of that, and then Suddenly by the second quarter, Noah Eagle's just going, hey, Patrick, why don't you call some plays? (laughs) So, uh, uh, you know, fortunately, uh, I I take great comfort in not only the fact that we have these two great professionals, Nate Burleson and Noah Eagle. They're so good. And they're good at this, this very specific thing we're doing. Um, But also I'm working with Tom Kenny, uh, my uh, now 25-year partner in kookiness uh who I, I love like a brother. He doesn't know anything about football. And 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 I think that's awesome. And uh but yet as a sta- former stand-up comedian and a guy who has at times called uh lucha libre or, 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 or pro wrestling <laughs> he does have uh an element of experience of this and and we're just gonna have fun you know <clears throat>
1: So this might be a silly question, but where will you physically be when you're calling the game? Are you in the booth with Noah and Nate? That was my immediate question when when this was, uh, proffered. Um,
2: last year, uh, on that Christmas Day game, I was in a truck parked next to SoFi, with all the other you know people that are running the, the camera shots and all that stuff. Um, this year for this, Tom and I will physically be sitting. Next to Nate and Noah in a broadcast booth in Allegiant Stadium, and we'll both be in bright green leotards and tights. Yeah, it just gets better and better. Uh, in in mocap suits, um, and then we'll be wearing the headpieces. We'll be fitted with headpieces that hold a camera that uh, uh, captures our facial expressions and relays that to the uh, CGI version of our characters that will be appearing to be in the booth next to Nate and Noah.
0: You know, this is such an interesting thing. I mean, you think about what SpongeBob was. This is Nickelodeon at its height, late 90s. A lot of shows that were memorable, Rugrats, et cetera, et cetera. And SpongeBob has crossed over. We would hate to have you here and not ask you about what is it that makes SpongeBob so special and so resonant through the generations
2: that's really the that's really the million dollar question with with uh with our little cartoon um and trust me a lot of uh studio executives have tossed it back and forth we need a spongebob johnson what do you think you know it's i can only speculate and i think among the many elements at, at play are, are who Steven Hillenberg, the creator of the show, who he was as a human and how he approached animation. And his idea of the characters and how they connected with each other in such real and humorous kind of uh, values. Uh, his sense of wit and color and rhythm. It's really it's like the perfect uh, chemical thing that was put forth, and and then his his casting to cast Tom, to know that Tom was the right guy because, on Rocco's Modern Life, which Hillenberg was working on when Tom was doing some recording, he heard this he heard Tom do a character, and that that char- that voice stuck in his head, and so. Uh, Tom tells a great story of Steven uh, talking about this, this pilot that he had written that Nickelodeon had ordered that he wanted to use Tom for as the lead and, and opening a drawer and Tom got to be the first person to see these drawings, you know, not the first person, obviously Nickelodeon had seen, but to see them in a drawer before they take over the world. <laughs> right. Um, It's pretty cool. So, you know, the other thing I have to say too is, Nickelodeon was very smart in how they let this show develop. There's a tendency I find personally, just as a big dumb actor, I find there's a tendency among some studio uh, methodologies where if you recognize something as value, you have to seize it and squeeze every blood you know every drop of blood out of it immediately and you can crush the creative process and the creative development and hillenberg they really they let hillenberg develop this cartoon in an organic way and i know it kind of sounds weird um but it's really important um i'm a big fan of the creative process so uh I think that really worked
0: for us. You know, I find it interesting. A lot of the times, I think voice actors are kind of taken for granted when it comes to production. And SpongeBob is kind of one of the last shows in Through the Door where it was really a show, as you mentioned, Tom Kenny doing Heifer on Rockwell's Modern Life all sorts of other characters as well. It was kind of one of the last shows in before it became, well, let's hire a known actor who we can put on a late night show and promote. Uh, You know, just briefly, what is it about the voice acting specialist that is, you know, that creates maybe characters who have more life and personality to them than, say, just a live action actor who kind of comes in and and does their own voice? And it's not bad or anything, but it's not the same as creating these characters who seem to exist on their own independently.
2: You are bringing some good wood to the question pile here. Um, that is uh, that's really uh, an important part of <clears throat> this uh ridiculous occupation is the focus of of your voice paired with your basic performing skills or instincts. Um, first of all, you have to have good mechanics either naturally or via uh, has training. Tom was just born with a, a, like an ACDC voice. I mean, his voice is indestructible. I would challenge anyone in voiceover to do what Tom does for four hours without losing their voice. He is incredible. Um, he's got an amazing mechanism. But you have to then pair with that, this uncanny ability to take something funny and make it more funny. Um, you have to be, be able to flow into uh, whatever the script needs, along with bringing the life of the moment. Um, I, it's it's really interesting. I find it liberating. You know, here I am, 25 years I've been doing this, this goofy little character, and I still love him. I love Patrick. He still makes me laugh when I'm recording, when I'm working on it. He makes me laugh. He, he kind of takes over. Uh, it's it's pretty
0: extraordinary. Yeah. Uh, well, I'll get you out of here soon. I know you don't have a, a ton more time. Um, you know, one of the things to me, as someone who, you know, I watched a, I watched a lot of Nickelodeon growing up, so I, I'm familiar with all mm. these voice actors, uh, Tom Kenny, Billy West, Maurice Lamar, Tres McNeil, oh, and yeah. goes on. And uh, one of the things to me is I think about this profession. I think about, you know, going all the way back to like Mel Blanc. And what a tremendous run it has been since about 1990-ish with some of the best voice actors uh, we've really heard. Uh, in sports, they do the goat conversation very often. Uh, <laughs> I'm not going to subject you to the goat conversation there, but I would be curious, uh, as somebody who has worked with a lot of these folks, if you had to create a Mount Rushmore, if you were doing an ESPN segment, the Mount Rushmore uh-huh. of voice actors, uh, who would you uh-huh. put on that list?
2: well uh tom kenny is the goat i in my mind he has overtaken mel blanc the great mel blanc to be the greatest voiceover actor of all time his versatility is is without parallel uh i think um you you named him there i mean maurice lamarche is he's incredible he's so much fun to work with and he's so facile you know he's He's so versatile. Um uh, Tara Strong is 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 Dynamite. Oh, D. Bradley Baker, who does all the creatures. He does so many creatures. And he'll okay, okay, Dee, we need you to do a. <clears throat> we need you to do a bubble monster. And the monster has to grab something in its mouth, spit it out, be grossed out, but then be really aggressive and grab a harder thing on a different, on the next beat, and you'll go, "Uh uh uh-huh, 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 okay. And then he'll, he does like weird stuff with his face and his fingers, and and he's like using his sinuses. He just makes these incredible sounds and such brilliant control. I I could watch him work all day. Um, Uh you know, I obviously I'm I'm going to favor our cast, <laughs> um, a lot. <clears throat> uh, you know, I, I do have to say that as a kid, I loved so much this one TV show. And then here years and years and years later, I got to work with, uh, Tim Conway and Ernest Borgnine on SpongeBob, you know, two of my childhood heroes. That was really cool. But no, to your point about that, um, uh, those are the names I'm rolling with right now. <laughs>
0: All right. Hey, uh, one more thing. Uh, I, I, I wanted to, uh, to to ask you if you could, you're going to be calling this game. I wanted to present to you one of the more famous calls in sports broadcasting history uh, and uh, to see if you might be willing to perform it as Patrick. So sure. what I'm going to do is I'm going to put this in the chat. I don't know if you're able to see it. I'm going to put this in the chat. Uh, this is from the uh, well. I won't spoil it for the listening audience. So, uh, but you might be familiar with this game. It's from 2015, uh, and this is. Uh, I'd like for you to perform it as Patrick, if you could.
2: Oh no! Oh, that he didn't get the ball. Where's the ball? Oh, oh, oh! Look at the ball. Oh. Jalen Woods Jackson. He Oh, wait, wait, there's no more time. That was it. That was the last play of the game. Oh, holy fry cook games.
0: Wow. I love the improvisation. Yes, that is uh, Patrick Starr calling the Michigan, Michigan State ending from the 2015 game, the trouble with the snap. Uh, And uh, I got to tell you, uh, Sean McDonough, uh, Sean McDonough now ranks second for that particular play. Uh, <laughs> thank you so much for taking the time. It was a tremendous pleasure. As someone who really does appreciate what voice actors do, loved a lot of these cartoons from the 90s, uh, tremendous pleasure. Just even getting to talk about Tom Kenny with someone who works at Tom Kenny, just that alone, but getting to talk to you and to, to hear your insights about this, treme- I want to say, tremendous skill for all those folks out there who think that voice actors roll out of bed and just, you know, what voice actors do, they bring life to these characters. So thank you so much.
2: Awesome, man. I love it. I love it. All
0: it's right. been a pleasure. Yes, thank you. Thank you, a lot, bill All right. Well, that was excellent. Getting to talk with Bill Fagerbachie. Looking forward to his work on the Super Bowl Sunday. You can catch that Nickelodeon broadcast. Uh, and obviously the traditional broadcast with Nance Romo and Wolfson on CBS. And as we mentioned before, the Spanish language coverage on Univision. So between the Nickelodeon and Univision broadcasts, that alone should be enough to get that game to an all-time record. Well, all-time record, you know all the caveats there. Drew?
1: John, I thought you might have been lying to me last week when you you said you knew just as much about voice acting as you did sports media. Uh, I'm glad to have been proven wrong. That was a fantastic interview. Uh, Your knowledge of voice actors clearly, clearly came through.
0: Yes, well, thank you. You know, the first person I ever interviewed was a voice actor, uh, Andy McAfee, who was uh, Phoebe Heyerdahl on Hey Arnold, but I was 10. So I didn't do quite as good a job with the preparation as I did this time. Uh, I think I wasted her time, but uh, if Andy McAfee's out there listening, I want a second chance at uh, Andy McAfee. But yeah, no, I mean, I watched a lot of TV growing up. You watch enough Nickelodeon, eventually you'll notice all those names in the credits. So, uh, and I always appreciated uh, uh, the craft of voice acting. I love that he mentioned D. Bradley Baker. D. Bradley Baker is so fantastic as Klaus, an American dad, just one of his many roles. Uh, Big fan of D. Bradley Baker. So one of these years, let's get D. Bradley Baker to work in NBA finals or something, and I can invite him onto the podcast to discuss it. That might be uh, good. But this will probably be the only time my two passions uh, mix like this.
1: Uh, I'm excited to actually check out the Nickelodeon broadcast now. Probably not something I would have done before today.
0: All right. Well, that Super Bowl is coming up Sunday. It's on CBS. It will not be part of the joint venture between ESPN, WBD, and Fox. So that's too bad. We'll just have to settle for watching it on free over-the-air TV. We'll be back here next week with more sports media talk, and obviously we'll be discussing the numbers for the big game. In the meantime, have a good one.